So we find ourselves in these conversations all the time with interesting people. Today, we're talking to a man who decided that he saw this big need in what he would broadly define as elder care, and he he focused on incontinence. So a couple funny things about this. One, you know, as he states, there hasn't been a lot of innovation here. And two, he might not be the person you'd expect to walk in the door talking about this. Not only is he a man, he's a young man. He's a really young man. And apparently the uh, situation that he faced when dealing with elder care was really notable to him. And really made an impact. And, you know, like so many people that we get the chance to speak to, he turned an idea and a, and a problem he saw and looked for a better solution. So who's coming into your office um, suffering from symptoms of incontinence? You know, based on what we learned, it sounds like it's it's not the stereotype that we might have in our heads. The answer or really the question should be, who isn't coming into my office with this complaint? And maybe that would be the 18 year old. But look, Rachel, this is a problem that spans the decades. There are different risk factors. So we certainly see this issue arise after uh, having children. We see this issue arise as a result of weak pelvic floor muscles. We see it as a genetic issue. And surely we see it in the older population. But I would say this spans women from really 35 and up. So it's something that needs to be addressed and big time. So I'm happy we'll have a chance to learn more and, and hear about a solution that really seems to be making a difference in consumers' lives. Welcome to the Business of the V. Hello, friends and colleagues. I'm Dr. Alyssa Dweck. And I'm Rachel Braunschirl. Each week, we bring you the most fascinating investors, inventors, entrepreneurs, academics, and healthcare practitioners who are making things happen in women's sexual and reproductive health. If you are a woman, know a woman, have a business, or care about your V health and wellness, fasten your seatbelts and listen in to another informative and inspiring episode. We are so happy to have our guest today, Stephen Cruz, who's co-founder at Hazel, which is a terrific company that he's building that I'll tell us about. Both Alyssa and I have had the opportunity um, to meet and get to know Stephen a little bit. Welcome. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you guys both. It's been great getting to know you guys and uh, yeah, excited to chat here. So one of our favorite things is to look at, you know, the journeys people take, you know, for instance, from Microsoft to menopause. How do you go from providing, you know, healthy, well-balanced, home-cooked meals to incontinence? <laughs> uh, Bam. <laughs> yeah. uh, thank, thank you for putting me on the spot. Um, yeah, so, like at the end of the day, right, I think, you know, you don't choose really what you work on. It kind of chooses you. And um, I've always just been someone who always wanted to align myself, you know, with mission-driven companies, whether it's something that I'm working on uh, myself or, you know, something that I'm, I'm a part of. And, uh, you know, I've been in the startup space for, you know, over a decade at this point. And after Plated, uh, I joined one of the Plated co-founders to go and really build um, new living, senior living solutions. So think of it as like, you know, modern day Elks Lodge, Rotary Club, American Legion, right? Really kind of modernizing community um, in the 21st century. And 
you know, as you can imagine, just as a 30 something curled being immersed in that demo day in, day out, I started hearing new conversations, new needs, right? Particularly with women. Uh, the thing that I kept hearing over and over again was, you know, these women were well aware of kind of new age brands that have hit the market, right? The hymns, the Romans of the world, really tackling taboo topics. Um, but no one was really focused on, you know, their new needs. Um, and as you can imagine, like that just sparked interest, right? I started, uh, double clicking some more, you know, holding, uh, user research sessions, kind of all of that. And then realized that, you know, there is an even larger opportunity here to, you know, service a lot of, you know, a lot of people and do good, um, realize that no one was going after the bladder leakage space. Um, you know, it's a, it's a market that's been, you know, locked since the seventies, right. And hasn't changed yet. Any other CPG category that you look at, you know, the consumer has choice and also it's evolved. So. That's kind of the, uh, the short version of <laughs> how we went from delivering meal kits to, you know, now developing our own incontinent solutions and, and bringing it out to the world. Well, I have another question before we jump into incontinence and I, uh, I let Alyssa talk about all the medical specifics. So it was an interesting journey. I've, you said, you know, the business chose you. Help us understand how you picked when you left and you started something with your with your coworker from Plated, why elder care? You know, was there some reason that pushed you into that particular space? Um, and clearly, obviously, once you get talking about that, there are enormous needs, which you're working very hard to solve. But what was the pull to that? With that business, you know, there was a, a personal story behind it with uh, that respective um, founder. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, ahead of the COVID-19 kind of pandemic that we went through, uh, one of the largest epidemics, you know, right now in the U.S. is loneliness and social isolation, right? Where, you know, people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, about a third of them state to be, you know, lonely and socially isolated. And, and the reality is like, you know, digital apps or anything of that sort really don't help bridge that gap. Um, and what we realized was no one was tackling this at all, um, let alone this consumer in any kind of means, right? And like, at the end of the day, this is a consumer that controls 70% of the GDP, right? Yet they're still being ignored. Like the amount of, uh, you know, new startups and services that I see that are focused on, you know, Gen Z and millennials almost make no sense. Um, so, you know, it goes back to, again, kind of aligning my own personal mission, right? Like at the end of the day, I think you can combine, you know, capitalism and good. Um, so that's what attracted me to that. Um, and then realized that, you know, it wasn't just, uh, loneliness, you know, as the only opportunity here, there's kind of much, much more. And I think, um, the good thing is you're starting to finally see, you know, founders tackle this as well as the venture dollars are starting to kind of align behind it. So, you know, in my world, uh, incontinence, which means the involuntary leakage of urine for people who may not be familiar with that term, um, is extraordinarily common. Okay. So I think the usually quoted stat is 25%. One in four women will suffer from incontinence with the vast majority of those people being over the age of 65. Right. I suspect that actually the, there is a pretty decent number 
earlier than that age, but they're really not talking about it. But my question is specific. You know, since so many of the over 65-year-old people may not be as familiar with or adept with uh, an online app to obtain services other than maybe Amazon, but to obtain health services, how did you navigate that so that it would be so user-friendly? Yeah, so I guess um, addressing, uh, you know, some of the misconception, right? Like to your point, yes, as you age, there's a higher likelihood that you do experience, you know, call it everyday leakage. But uh, the reality is the, you know, average age of our consumer is 48 years old, Mm -hmm. Uh, where I think when we'll hear that for the first time, they're surprised, right? Um, Because I think just on a societal level, we have this stigma that, you know, anyone that's shopping this aisle is doing it on the behalf as a, you know, caretaker um, and, you know, the end user, someone who's bedridden. Um, and, and that's actually, you know, not the the, the truth behind it, um, which, you know, really came to a surprise when we were digging into the, the category overall. But to your point, um, you know, when we were developing the brand, developing uh, the user experience on a digital standpoint, at the end of the day, I was always putting, you know, the customer first. And that's where my co-founder really comes into play. You know, her background is um, brand, UX, design, all of that. Um, and believe it or not, uh, when she was at Zola, uh, a wedding registry company, their primary revenue drivers were uh, people 50, uh, 50 and up, right? As you can imagine, um, they're the ones that are actually making the big ticketed purchases off the registry. Um, so we, you know, we really approached it with just a user-centric uh, design and, you know, involved her uh, in every step of the way. And, you know, lastly, uh, on our side, when we were, you know, developing the brand, developing the product, and ultimately developing the digital experience, we put together an advisory board of about 25 women in demo. Um, so they had uh, you know, they, they have influence on kind of all parts. And at the end of the day, they're the ones building this and, you know, we're just the ones, uh, shepherding all of it. So just to take it back, um, a little bit. So let's mm-hmm. define what incontinence is. I, can you give folks a, uh, primer, Alyssa, on what are the many causes of incontinence, you know, as Stephen described, it does not fit perhaps the stereotype that we have in our mind. And it doesn't just affect, you know, urine linkage, like many other things in health and not that just women suffer from incontinence, but it affects so many aspects of a person's life who has to deal with this. So what are some of the causes people can look out for and how many other aspects of someone's life does it touch? Yeah. So, Actually, this is a great question because it really speaks to what you were speaking about, Stephen, with the uh, younger age demographic that you were surprised to learn about, which I'm actually not at all surprised to learn about. And I that, that's why I had asked that question. So this is the thing. There are a couple of different types of incontinence in a very simplistic way. We have stress incontinence, which in and of itself means that when you strain, you perform a Valsalva maneuver like cough or sneeze or laugh really hard or do exercise. You leak just at that time and it's uncontrollable, uh, but usually just a small amount. I see loads of this in my office, uh, especially in the younger women who might have had children, uh, particularly big babies or instrumented deliveries. Two independent 
risk factors for stress incontinence. Another type of incontinence is, you know, what we call uh, urge incontinence, sometimes also called overactive bladder, uh, where for really no reason whatsoever, your bladder just decides to act without your brain's instruction. And it might have some, uh, you know, muscle um, uh, contraction. Uh, without your instructing it to do so, and you'll leak urine. Oftentimes, women get this when they say, you know, they really have to go to the bathroom so badly, they reach for the door handle to go and urinate, and they can't make it in time. Uh, most of the time, there's a mix of both of these, and so I think it's fair to say that there's several kinds of incontinence. With that said, risk factors include being overweight, genetic factors, uh, pelvic floor muscle weakness that might be related to childbirth or having big babies or instrumented deliveries, um, and then other gynecologic issues that can go along with. It doesn't surprise me that it's women in their 40s who are really opting in here because these are women who are incredibly active, want to maintain their exercise schedules, and uh, are, are not afraid to get onto the web to, uh, to manage this and, and have um, you know, support from a community. So given, Stephen, that it affects people across an age range and given that there hasn't been terrific um, innovation in this space um, over the years, what, what are you providing? What does Hazel do that's different? And I know you put a lot of thought into what the company would stand for, how the products would look and feel, and what the experience would be. So help us understand what is Hazel's approach to dealing with what can often be a very uncomfortable, unexpected, and unenjoyable experience? Yeah. So, you know, to your point, um, at the, when we were looking at the market, we knew that, you know, this wasn't just a brand play where you can, you know, develop a better brand. Yes, the existing brands have a ton of stigma associated with them. But at the end of the day, the products are flawed, right? I think you know, there's good reason why the consumers don't want to use them. And, uh, you know, to, to Alyssa's point, you know, women are actually changing their lifestyle to avoid the category overall, right? Like, um, the National Institute of Health had estimated that the economic burden of incontinence is about $60 billion in the U S alone. And believe it or not, you know, the amount that's associated to like nursing homes is less than 10% of that. Um, you know, it's women that are pulling themselves out of the workforce, changing the way, um, you know, their active lifestyle, the way they dress, all of that. So when we took a look at product development, we knew that we couldn't just work with the existing players and just put forward, you know, basically the same product. So on our side, we, we really took product development and, and build it from the ground up, ground up, um, so on our side, we knew that, you know, women at the end of the day just want, you know, underwear, right? Uh, with some layer of protection. Um, so what we did was we engineer effectively our own fibers, uh, and really brought something new to the space that, you know, looks and feels like actual underwear. It's breathable. Um, yet it has the same absorption capacity as, you know, the legacy brands on shelf. So, um, for us, that was just really, really important because at the end of the day, while the market itself is already, you know, call it massive in size, I think the biggest opportunity is really serving, you know, the total addressable audience. And, uh, you know, according to our estimates, about two thirds of women that could belong to the category are refusing to participate. Um, 
I have a couple of like technical questions for you again, just stemming from practice. How do these really differ from like menstrual underwear, which of course is a, other than the fact that they're disposable, which uh, makes perfect sense. And number two, how are your products managing what I see every day, which is skin breakdown due to direct contact with urine, which is quite caustic to the skin? Yeah. So on our side, in terms of, uh, you know, how we're different from some of the, I guess, um, you know, reusable uh period products that have come onto the market so um a few different ways so uh we're disposable by design so when we were approaching product development you know again just always bringing it back to the customer about 90 percent 93 percent of women preferred a disposable product you know mainly sure. for hygiene purposes um and then the other thing to keep in mind is the segment that we're serving is really is a totally different audience than those that, you know, are in the reusable underwear segment. So, you know, those consumers are putting, uh, call it sustainability above all else. And, you know, because their technology is reusable from an absorption standpoint, it only really absorbs, you know, at most eight teaspoons, right? And to kind of put into perspective, that basically replaces the liner when, you know, our products really designed to to handle full bladders worth. So that's about a cup and a half to two cups. Um, so right. it's just a, a completely different need. Um, and then in terms of, uh, you know, designing for uh, skin sensitivities and, and all of that, when we were developing all of our, you know, different materials and different fibers, because at the end of the day, while it may seem like just, you know, a garment, it's made up of, you know, call it eight to nine different unique materials. Uh, there's a lot of complexity that happens in the back end. Um, but you know, we, we took, um, product development and just, you know, safety and quality very seriously and, and made sure that, you know, the team, um, was comprised of that. So we, we did all of the standard testing that you would within this category, including, you know, RIPT testing to ensure that there were no, um, issues with, uh, the product being close um, in close contact with the skin. Um, so, you know, with that are, uh, really kind of informed the design of the fibers themselves. One of the things that's also different about what you're doing is how you have a conversation. This is a, a topic that I, that I love, Alyssa, Alyssa <laughs> might even say I'm obsessed with it, that we're creating new conversations. So if, we didn't know who we were talking to and we didn't have the technology to deliver to the people who are using Hazel products. What is the conversation now? What are, what are, what are the insights that you're speaking to customers about? Obviously they know what incontinence is um, when they experience it. What they might not know is how many different aspects of their life it affects. You know, I, I think Alyssa, you gave me the example where you're speaking with someone else, someone who wouldn't pick up their grandchild because they were afraid they would leak. You know, then you have all the issues associated with concern about odor and everything else in the context of an intimate experience. So what are you saying that's really breaking over the open this conversation so that people understand more, not only have a better solution, but they understand and can talk about it? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, to your point, um, when you, when you lead with storytelling, right, it always resonates with the, with the consumer. Like anytime we've used, you know, kind of 
overly medical words like incontinence or anything of that sort. Um, you know, consumers are quick to say, no, 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 that's not me, right? That's someone with a problem is how they label it. Um, yet when we describe the experiences and, and, you know, share stories like the one that you just shared, um, almost, you know, call it nine out of 10 times consumers are like, no, that that's what I experienced. That's me that, you know, I don't experience incontinence. This is something else. And, um, as Aubrey, my co-founder likes to say, you know, our brand voice is really your best friend in the know. Um, and that's really, really important, especially to, you know, break down the walls um, given that, you know, this topic largely for so long has been stigmatized. So, you know, I think some of the legacy brands and, you know, a few folks that have, you know, tried to enter the space continue to lead with stats. And I think stats can be okay, but I think at the end of the day, like, you know, you're building a consumer brand and you don't want to feel, you know, part of a lab study. Um, so that's just so, so important. And, uh, and just to share a real world example, you know, when we launched, uh, we had the, we were fortunate enough to be covered in Vogue. Um, and, you know, the, the piece really spoke to, you know, about all the conversations that we're having uh, right now on this call. And uh, the amazing thing was there was a beauty blogger um, who saw the piece and she actually, you know, organically wrote about Hazel on her own on her YouTube channel. And if you saw all of the comments on the video, it really just kind of represents what, you know, we're looking to do here, right? At the end of the day, breaking down stigmas with authoritative voices um, and really kind of partnering with people that believe in the mission um, and are just, you know, advocates for women's health. Um, and the amazing thing is within the comments, you kind of saw everything that we're talking about, which is like, you know, women, like for the first time we're saying, wow, I didn't know solutions like this existed in the marketplace, completely treating the legacy, you know, products out there as for somebody else. Right. And we're actually seeing that within our own data. Um, oh, for old people. Those are for old people. I exactly. said it. So in my practice, you know, listen, most women come in and they're just like, oh my God, Dr. Dweck, I went to the gym and I peed myself. I mean, I can't believe I'm using that phrase on a podcast, but that is what most <laughs> women say to me. Um, a few of them will come in and absolutely say, look, I'm leaking urine and this shouldn't be happening. My question for you is how much education are you providing on the site about the subject matter in general? And when is it that you, um, you know, because after all, this, this is, it's not a permanent solution to use garments such as this. It's a, it's a stopgap and it's a great mm -hmm. one and it may, you know, help somebody uh, to prevent them from having to have a procedure or whatnot, but w w you know, how, how do we, how do we cure this? And, and are you providing information on that, even though it might be very challenging? Yeah. So on our side, you know, at the end of the day, we always want to make sure that our consumers are, you know, are aware of all of the different solutions. Um, so from day one, uh, we launched with, um, an editorial, uh, you know, blog really kind of focus on the space itself as well as broader topics. Um, and, you know, making sure that consumers are aware of all solutions, whether it's, um, you know, pelvic floor exercises, um, you know, going about, uh, the surgical solutions and all of that. Um, and I'm talking more about lifestyle because you know, again, when we think about some of the uh, risk factors, one of them clearly being uh, weight management. Right. You know, 
is is this something that's addressed or is that just off base and you're just going to provide general education? And I, I understand that so many consumers who feel loyal to a brand such as Hello Hazel would would really turn to your, um, I don't know, customer service, maybe for actual advice. What do I do now? How can I make this better? So, you know, in office, we talk about Kegel exercises, Kegel exercisers, maybe weight, Kegel weights, maybe uh, some of the biofeedback tools, pelvic floor physical therapy, uh, weight management tools, along with these great products. So uh, I'm guessing that your community speaks about this. Yeah, yeah. So right now, um, outside of the call it general, you know, content education, uh, we do have plans in place where, you know, at the end of the day, we don't want to just offer, you know, call it a customer service agent, right? We want to make sure that I, like we are the, you know, call it one-stop solution where okay. you can feel empowered. Um, so uh, not to, not to share too much, but we have plans on, you know, outside of just getting access to product, you also get access to, you know, education via pelvic floor therapists um, okay. and other medical professionals to make sure that, you know, at the end of the day, they're well aware of their solutions. That's amazing. I think that would really, really resonate with that population of women. Here's today's hot flash. So per an article published in Obstetrics and Gynecology, the economic burden of urinary incontinence for women is overwhelming at $900 billion. What would you say to people who are building businesses, not just in incontinence, but I would say other categories that I won't use the S word because it just drives <laughs> me crazy, but in categories where not the folks on this call and the folks in our community who are uncomfortable talking about it and you're sort of facing some headwinds. And then, as you said, you come in as a young man in a category that people might not associate you with. What have you done? What tools have you used, personal or technical, to sort of fight those those headwinds? Yeah, I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's going back to the customer always, right? You can't make assumptions um, on what you think the customer wants. Um, so from day one, whether it was one-on-one -on -one interviews and, you know, involving uh, the demo, you know, from the get-go, but also doing, you know, uh, third-party surveys and you know, just making sure that you're kind of covering all bases. I think that's very important, right? Like at the end of the day, while we're not the demo, um, the demo has been involved from the get-go. Um, and that's just, you know, I, I can't stress that enough. Um, and, you know, I think the world that we live in from a digital like perspective, you can get a really good pulse on what's working and what's not. Um, for instance, you know, when we were developing the brand, developing even what the product looked like, um, we honestly just launched different mock-ups of the website. Um, also use that as a way to kind of inform ultimately what the brand name would be. And we saw what resonated, right? You can, nowadays you can easily turn on, you know, landing page, put some marketing dollars behind it and see how, you know, real customers would react. Um, so, you know, making sure that, again, you get rid of any biases that you may have is, is probably the most important thing. So I have to ask, why Hazel? Like, where did that name possibly come from? I always think of the TV show, 
but there I go dating myself again. <laughs> yeah. I think um, that might have predated Stephen just by a few days. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we do get that a lot. Um, I will say, I uh, you know, after hearing that, I, I had gone back and listened or watched a few episodes on YouTube. <laughs> um, but uh, sounds very tone deaf now, right? Thirty years later. <laughs> Yeah. Going in color? Uh, I don't even know. <laughs> no, it's in black and white. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when we, you know, when we were just developing the brand, at, at the end of the day, we knew that we wanted to, um, you know, we wanted to be a name so it could personify something much larger um, and, and not be some of the names that you hear out in the marketplace today, some of the legacy brands right there. They're a bit sterile to say the least. Um, so we knew that just talking to consumers, you know, having, you know, a persona was really important. Um, so we drew inspiration from a lot of names and, you know, our own lives and Hazel made it to the list. Um, and, uh, to be honest, when we were, you know, just seeing what resonated with consumers, we put it out to the world. So we, uh, developed different landing pages with different names and Time and time again, Hazel always won. We saw the, you know, the best engagement, the highest conversion. And this is where you balance, like, you know, what customers tell you and what they also do, right? Because sometimes, um, you know, those aren't aligned. And in this case, they were. But um, that's how we, you know, approach company building from day one. It's just, you know, taking a very data-centric uh, approach. Terrific. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us and for making such great strides in this category, making it safe to go outside. Um, we wish you continued success and we can't wait to see what's next from from you and the Hazel team. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for just letting me get on your platform and share more. Don't forget, subscribe to our podcast at businessofthev.com for the latest trends and trendsetters in women's health and business.